watching prohibition fall down. What is up, DGC? We are hanging out with Jeremy from Build a Soul today. No stranger to the Dude Grow Show. How's it going, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. No, and it's always, if you guys haven't had a sit in here with Jeremy, it's uh, get your notepads out, get ready to listen. Tons of information. We want to talk today a little bit about what are plant ferments. I think we would call it, we got it from when uh, BioBiz hung out with us. So it's like plants feeding plants, you know, liquid organics. I want to learn about that versus solid organics, like a steak versus like you're saying, a protein shake kind of analogy, you know. How are we getting food to the plant as well as reamending soil and how long can we use our medias? Can we use them over and over and over again? And how do we do that? So let's have some fun and get into it, Scotty. You ready? Yes, sir. You've already got me one of the derail. Is it media or medias? What if it's multiple types of media? Is it medias? <laughs> I just like saying it because I feel smart. It's the opposite end of instead of dirt, there's media. I love it. You know it. what I mean? I love it, sir. All right, uh, let's yeah. take a go ahead, Scotty. No, I was just I was just doing my Ed McMahon. Okay, give me a little yes. All right, <laughs> let's get into it then right away. I want to know about liquid organics. I'm a bottle feeder, if you will. I grow synganically, but I like certain liquid organic products. I can pick something from one line or another, and I figure in my brain I have a shorter cycle period of this plant. So liquid organics, I'm going to be able to feed quicker. Like it's already chewed up. It's already going to be a little bit more plant accessible than adding in a handful of alfalfa or whatever. And that's, you take it from there, Jeremy, you tell me. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a really good way to think about it. Plant availability comes with responsibility though, because that means that you have to know what you're doing and the essence that the plant's going to have to use it. And so um, in one regard, it's kind of like an IV. Um, if the doctor puts it in there, hopefully it's the right nutrition, but it's going in your blood and it bypasses the normal system. And so the idea and how we describe it, you mentioned the protein shake is that for a long time with living soil, it was kind of taboo to add anything. The whole purity complex of just doing like water only meant that you've made it. And there's levels to that in the sense that a lot of times the ability to go with water only and still get really good results. So you're not wasting your effort it comes to larger soil containers. And the reason why is the larger body of biology can work with roots that are constantly finding new soil. And at the root tip is where you get a, a little bit more interaction with the enzymes and the ability to pick up nutrients. But when you're in a small container and your, new, your roots are air pruned or swirling and there's not this constant new root tip mining new fresh soil, that means that it can start to go out of balance within itself. And so adding more Slow release means that the, it goes through this process where the plant kind of gets to choose what it wants to do. And it's a little bit more in control. So when we use dry amendments, compost, soil testing, we're trying to be a steward of the plant. But when we use liquids, we're trying to kind of juice it up a little bit. Say, hey, look, at it. I think you need this. I'm going to give it to you. And there's a number of ways to do it. Um, it could just be pointed, NPK. Right. Well, let me here. ask a, qu a quick, uh, if I caught yeah. this right there, um, oh, you know, dude we, we talk, this. I love it. Love it. When people are growing no-till, uh, people preach, you know, big, big soil volumes, big beds, as so you mentioned, the, 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 the roots get to keep going. So could I say liquid organics, if I call it that, ferments would be better if I'm growing out my five gals? Yeah, you're going to need to, because that's going to keep the pressure off the system and overcome the limiting factor. So uh, one of the ways that you do ranching and large-scale organics, uh, one of the phrases you hear is holistic land management and holistic decision-making. And we usually look at the weakest link. So if the weakest link is your time and you're very busy, then a big body of soil might be great. But if you want to have lots of flavors in a small space, it might be easier for you to feed a little extra instead of, and you have the time to do that. So when it comes to feeding, we have a product called Blue Gold. It's a one-part uh, or two part, but it's it, what I mean by one part is that it's got the wetting agent, the micronutrient, the NPK, it's everything in one. And that's great. A lot of people like that because when you feed, you get everything so that you're not out of balance. But most living soil growers don't want to do that. They want to add a little of this, a little of that. And so the ferments are a way to add a broad spectrum of very small amounts of liquid nutrients. So you're never going to overdo it. Um, and then you also add into it the lactobacillus and the enzymes and the chlorophyll and the uh, carbon and all of the things that go together to make organic nutrients work. Now, 
normally what would happen is you put the organic matter in the soil and the biology would go to break it down. So the fermentation process is to do that in another location and then feed the water soluble to the soil. Um, and there, there's a lot of ways people use it. They'll foliar spray because the lactobacillus builds up heavily in there. And that is a, a good bacteria that you find on plants. Like the reason why sauerkraut works is there's lactobacillus all over the cabbage when you chop it up and put salt in it. The salt stops the bad bacteria from growing. The lactobacillus overpowers, goes crazy. You get the sour taste. It's beneficial to our gut. Same in the soil. We don't want the bad ones to go crazy. So using these ferments keeps the good ones active with food sources and gives you a very diverse spectrum of these secondary plant compounds. So, so if you were to look at all green plants, whether it's alfalfa, comfrey, or just any green plant, as opposed to the specially named ones, the only difference is not that lettuce or kale or comfrey or alfalfa are better than each other from the NPK value. Some might produce more biomass, but we're not really after just the, the green leaf. We're after the secondary compounds that these plants make and having a lot of diversity to that. And when you study the organic plant world, there's a lot to do with this plant signaling, these enzymes, and all of these factors that are above and beyond just NPK. And so we even find that hydroponic growers that are feeding synganically, as you say, or even straight chemicals, they've found benefit to terpene increase by adding in all of these different ferments and organics and things like that. And that seems to be what even the living soil crowd is going after. If you're in a small container and you want to keep the quality at the highest level, then keeping the pressure off with the nutrients is great, but we're not just going to buy any nutrient. The ferment or the organic nutrient has more than just the NPK. It has this whole spectrum of secondary metabolites. It has the lactobacillus. It has the carbon that was from the plant source. And so now we're keeping the vision intact. We're easing the pressure off the system. And we're also increasing the quality of the harvest because we're not making it work so hard for everything that it needs, especially in these smaller containers. That makes sense. Like a lot of smaller growers, I know if say you're in a two by four ten or whatever, we get grow talk questions on the show where they're struggling with, they really want to grow. They really want a living organic soil or they want that style or they're mixing up their own blends, but then they're running into trouble a month in or a month and a half in. And it's yeah. really just not enough soil volume. I would say, I don't know what the minimum container size is just to do. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Yep. So minimum container size is directly proportional to the plant size. And so the reason why we don't say water only soil is if you take anybody's soil and no matter how loaded and balanced you could get it, if you grow a 10 foot tall plant out of a one, one gallon container, you're going to run out. Yep. And so this whole paradigm of water only, I think, gives people false confidence that their soil can do anything. In their mind, they're going, well, this is good for 10 years. Of course, it'll go great on the first run. You never run out. That's not how nature works. Nature has this cycle where it replenishes every year. It just doesn't have a battery of 100 years of fertility. <laughs> As yeah. weather and animals and seasons and cover crop, it's always constantly trying to keep it. If this is completely devoid and this is full of nutrients on a scale of 1 to 10, Nature's trying to keep it in that four to six range so that we're never over harvesting. We're never providing too much. Nature, nature's not wasteful like that. And so uh, when we consider, consider container size, most beginners that use a five gallon, three gallon, seven gallon container, because they're trying to fill their canopy, they're going to grow a much larger size of canopy than the actual volume of soil underneath it. Right. And now they better be good. They better be feeding before they actually know they need it or it's too late and top dressing and teeing and all of these things. Now, if you've been there before and you flip to flower very early and your plant is probably smaller than your actual container, you'll get a very good stretch. And the stretch that happens visibly upwards of the plant, you need to mirror that down below. So if you're in a three gallon, I think you should transplant something bigger than flip or top dress than flip. But but if the plant is already too big and you go to flip, you've already, you have no more new root space. So now the roots can't stretch like the top and now it needs food. And so what I would say is in a five gallon, if you have a plant that is of the height that is, and bush size that is half the size of your container, you can just flip and it's going to have plenty of space. But if you already have a pretty big plant, the five gallon, you've got to consider top dressing and feeding before you go to flower. You're going to hit a wall three or four weeks in. It's going to be bad. Um, in fact, on our YouTube series, we mentioned it before. Um, just build this all YouTube. We did do some seven and a half gallon. Uh, we did one cubic foot and 10 gallon pots. 
And you can see that those actually stayed really healthy because we top dressed really heavily and we, we fed that side a little bit more. Um, so always consider plant size to container size. That's the ratio. So even in a 100 gallon, if you grow a 10 pound plant, you needed a 400 gallon. Even in a five gallon, if you try and grow something that's too big, it, it, it's just that relationship that's important. So that makes um, sense. Let me ask you about top dressing then, because yep. so we're talking, we need the major building blocks. I call them the steak and potatoes, the yep. N, the P, and the K. Uh, so you'd be, first off, what kind of delay? We know it all has to be broken down by microbes. There's a hell, of a, yeah, hell yep. of a delay. So how do you so, anticipate that delay? And what type of delay is it? There's not as much delay if you set it up right. And I feel like it's, so I, I practice jujitsu and a lot of times a black belt has a different answer than a white belt and it's like levels of difference. And a lot of times there's this missing conversation in the middle. So somebody who's really good will say, oh, I just top dress and the plants love it. But what they, what, what the beginner didn't hear is that they've been doing that consistently enough to build up a map of eater roots whose only job is to digest those nutrients and they're ready for it. So by the time they go into flower, you can literally see a map of white roots barely under the surface, almost eating everything that's there. And if you buy a book on plants and their roots and all of their systems, you can tell that almost every plant out there has deeper roots that are only for moisture. And all of the feeder roots are typically in the top few inches of soil. That's where all of the action happens. So if we're bottom watering or if we're watering and it's drying on the top first, we've got bare soil, we're never top dressing. And all of the action is happening maybe where it stays moist in the bottom. And then we go, oh, I was told to top dress. And we throw a top dress on there. The plant literally has to 180, figure out why it's up there, send feeder roots out. It takes a couple of weeks to develop, then start to break it down. Right. And so all we're really going to get is when we water through the top dress, whatever's water soluble will kind of go into the system. But when you've been doing that process since the beginning, let's say in your little tiny container, you plant your five gallon, you put the plant in there, you top dress right away. And the reason why is you don't need that food yet. But when you top dress, it doesn't upset the balance of the soil. It's like... It's like the soil is your checking account, the top is your savings account. So you put a little on top right away. And that builds these feeder roots that are like, okay, there's stuff up here. Cool. And as you get closer to flower, now when you go to top dress, there's an entire system ready to deploy and eat wow. what you're giving it. And you'll actually notice a visible reaction within 24 hours of the top dress. Wow. And they'll go ham on it. But if you don't, it can take a couple of weeks and it may not be as advantageous as when you're rocking the system, if that makes sense. What, no, totally what, are, you, what are we... What are we top dressing? I am, help me out with blood meal, bone meal, fish meal. You know, tell me about yeah, that. So there's lots of things you can use. The idea is to keep the buffet full. And so I don't want to overdo this thing. I don't want to pour tens of pounds of nutrients on top. But the idea is if we have regular potting soil, we want to just have a little bit. So it could be even be like a couple of tablespoons of ingredients, a little bit of mulch to cap it off. That creates the moisture barrier where your grow light is not going to keep this hot, dry area there. The roots won't go there. Right. So if it's a mulch layer and a little bit underneath there, the roots will kind of go up under the mulch where it's still shady and they'll start to break down those nutrients. The nutrients are in contact with moisture. And so I would, I would think of it almost like um, uh, if you're seasoning something, you're not trying to pour salt on in a pile. You're trying to evenly spread the granules around them. Right. And it's a little more forgiving than that. So in a small container, you could probably pack a quarter inch layer of a top dress on something. But the idea is, is less is more. You can always add back a little bit more, a quarter cup at a time or a tablespoon at a time instead of just a thick pile that hardens up and you can't water through. Sure. Um, but when you are adding the material, the diversity is important. And that's why I mentioned the buffet. We have a got a craft blend that's got like 15 ingredients. It seems to be very popular for top dressing because it's got minerals and calcium and, and PK. Now, you mentioned bone meal, blood meal, fish meal. We use a lot of those ingredients, but we have very particular choices we make within them. Um, but long story short is any of your seed meals, your minerals, or your bone meals, things like that, those are all organic, slow-release products. We try and hit a broad spectrum of them in the top dress area. Now, if you've got a soil test and it's said you need a specific ingredient, you can top dress just one ingredient. The idea, though, is that we want the whole buffet kind of full on top, and then the plant just chooses whatever it wants. I wanted to back up just a little yes, because we did talk about the plant ferments, but you have a few products, right? What do you have to feed with as far as liquid nutrition? Yes. So at Build the Soil, one of the things that we do is we try to align ourselves with manufacturers that follow good principles, have good ingredients, and are proven to be valuable to customers. They're not just some new shiny product. And there's a number of different ones that are water-soluble, 
feed the plant style. We've got Organics Alive, we've got Blue Gold, and then we've got our Build a Bloom by Build a Soil. But to get in the ferment world, I've got a few products back here by Growing Organic. This is an alfalfa concrete fermented plant extract. And I want to kind of bring it full circle and explain even how we got here. This is a combo product that's growing organic, and it's also uh, the original fermented plant extracts by Weech. Do, do you mind if I just ask what it does? Why would you? I don't so use either This of is products. the comfrey plant and the alfalfa plant, and they use some molasses, and they use lactobacillus, and it's fermented. And so I'll, I'll give you a little blurb from his website because he explains how FPE works really well. It's a fermented plant extract. And when we first started learning about this, um, Coop, he turned me on to Gil Carradang's website, which is no longer around. And Gil Carradang was one of the originals. And he would teach us about um, fermented plant juice, fermented plant extracts, and some of the differences. And so originally farmers would take a whole bunch of, they would go out on the property. I want to give you an idea. And let's say on your property, you have all these plants that are growing. And you notice some of them are really growing very healthy. The idea would be to go to get the fresh growth tips, not the whole plant. The fresh growth tips where there's no pest damage, where it's very fast growing, inches per day, where all the hormones are. And you would chop all those up. And then they would put an equal amount of brown sugar. And that would start to ferment into this liquid soup. And that would be the available hormones, nutrients, carbon, everything together. And it was the cheap way for the farmer to go around the system and fertilize their home land. And they got That's such cool. phenomenal results. There was entire systems of Korean natural farming built on these principles. And they just took ancient technology and shared it from generation to generation. And so organic farmers today are wanting to tap into this generational technology that we know has been proven for, for thousands of years. And so now to capitalize on that without going down the rabbit hole, of differences, let me just read something from Growing Organics website. He says, how does FPE work? The logic behind FPE is simple because the prime plants for FPE are young, robust sprouts that grow quickly or the quick growth tips with all the hormones. They're full of chlorophyll and fiber. Coarsely chopping up these plants and adding sugar or molasses draws out their juices and creates an osmotic pressure and provides a rich feeding source for all of the lactic acid bacteria that's ubiquitous. By eating through the plant material, this bacteria starts a fermentation process that extracts the chlorophyll and other plant materials out of the cellulose of the plant cell. This produces an enzyme-rich mixture of bacteria full of benefits for plants and animals. And so this is one of those areas where you have to do a lot of... And, like we can drink it? It's dual use, plants <laughs> and animals? Hey, I mean, didn't say to you drink. think of anything that is good that, that we like, a lot of times fermented, fermentation is part of that. And... As Americans, a lot of times we're removed from the fermentation and the odors and uniqueness to it. But uh, cheese, beer, coffee, bread, I mean, a lot of things that we come, yeah, right, have to do with fermentation um, to the point where we may not even be aware of it, right? So fermentation is an ancient, it's nature's way of making things available. And it's a process of breaking down the organic matter. And so it makes sense to harness that. And we see great results across the board. So the average person who wants to use a ferment is looking to increase the quality, the Genesequa, the secondary expression, the terpene, the odor. And so they want to add that stink in to get the stink out. They want that funkiness and they want those available nutrients and they put it in the soil. And it's as simple as that. The good news is you don't have to buy these products. You can make all your own ferments, which means you can wildly, um, you can go crazy with it. Another, like if you've ever eaten kimchi, that's another thing where it's almost any fermented vegetable can be called kimchi. And so it's, it's almost pointless to argue about, well, is kimchi made from sauerkraut or kimchi made from carrot or kimchi made with peppers better for you than others? It's just that fermentation is powerful. It's a great way to get benefits in our gut. One of the things people are learning is that disease can be direct, directly related to missing biology in our gut. And so when we, when we hear of leaky gut, it's not like you have diarrhea. The, the gut is actually allowing things to get through the intestinal lining that aren't supposed to. And this is a breakdown that we are learning is a lot of times residual from Roundup and other chemicals that harm our, our, pro, our bacteria in our gut. The idea is that the soil represents the gut for the plant. It's where the cation exchange, it's where the biology of bacteria break things down. And so if we're trying to stay away from being sterile, using ferments, makes a lot of sense. It's like drinking kombucha. It's like eating your sauerkraut. And if you go down the health 
if you get really down the rabbit hole with human health, you're going to find fermentation. It's kind of a trip. It's like so, you feed you feed yourself, I bet, as well as like you feed your plants. And yes. me being a cannabis grower, I didn't. I know more about which I still don't know a ton. The rents <laughs> and the rhizosphere, which brought me into thinking about how the similarities with the human gut and how yeah. things work and how not to kill it off and how to keep everything, you know. The good, the good stuff going. Even the the folds in your gut kind of are the opposite of the little root hairs. You know, it's almost like they would fit into one another. It's almost like yep. plants and 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 that. By the way, that's just to increase surface area of the microbes to be able to colonize there. Yep. In my next life, I'm going to be Groot. You know, yeah. The character I'm talking about. Uh, well, there's a lot of similarities in plant health and human health. And it, I think it, it's helpful to paint that picture because there's a lot of people that will take vitamins and eat healthy and they realize, oh, that's great. But then when it comes to plants, it's like, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. And I think that most people, how they are in one area of their life is how they are in other areas. But then the pursuit of fire can sometimes break that, meaning like people are like whatever it takes to get the best weed, right? Oh, that is <laughs> um, So we have a lot of of confusion there. And I feel like if people have good living soil and they're following good principles, it's not like they have to have permits, but we also love our plants and we love ourselves. And, and, and part of taking care of yourself is, is doing things that have a process and a love to them. And I often joke about that. People that brew compost teas might grow healthier plants. I'm not sure if it's because of the compost tea or because they're constantly thinking about tomorrow for the plants, what they're going to do because they love them so much. Brother, and there I, is I, something I what, to that. There, there really is something to I'm sorry to interrupt, but you said that. No, There's there something is, though, to right? that. Never visiting your plants and visiting them all the time. I'll talk to some gr great growers that, uh, you know, a friend of mine uses three-par, GH3-par, and just crushes it. And I'm like, what do you do? Come on, give me a tip. Hang out with your plants. Hang out, yeah. spend time with them. And mm -hmm. when you start thinking that these are it's very similar to people, they kind of work in the opposite way. That's where we breathe oxygen. They breathe carbon dioxide. We yeah. have folds in our gut. They have protrusions. Uh, it, it does make you think that there's, there's a lot of similarities there. There really is. Yeah. And there's a difference between spending time in your garden on a disciplined routine. So you're always aware of what it takes to be a good steward. Oh, right. I need water. Oh, the humidity's off. Oh, I didn't notice that I need to tend to it. That keeps you on this even keel where the deviation of health is very, very minimal and it's easy. There's a big difference from doing that versus not knowing how to leave it the fuck alone. And <laughs> unfortunately spending time in there doesn't mean you're constantly tinkering with things, right? It's like getting the new kitten and the little kid just wants to touch it. You know, right. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go in your grow and oh, I'll give more water seven times a day. And I'll pH right. this, you know, that you're going to ruin your whole grow. You need to be a steward, not in control, not like a hyper hovercraft control movement. Like, like you said, yeah, you so, see those, you see those helicopter parents that do it. We talk about <laughs> the similarities, right? There's a, yeah, yeah. There, there's an art to letting something grow, so letting something alive grow. Yep. And so these ferments, or any of the liquid feeds should be a complement to your system, not the entire system. And that's right. the difference between feeding living soil is if we realize, ooh, my plant's a lot bigger than my container. I'm in a 10 gallon. I was supposed to flip to vet, flip to flower two weeks ago. Life got in the way. The plants are big. Here's your choices. Flip to flower and ride it out. You might run into nutrients. You could hack it back. So it's smaller, but that's not going to change the fact it's already digested Sucked two extra out, weeks yeah. of nutrients on you, right? So being aware of that and just going, you know what? I'm a little bigger. I missed the window for flip. I'm going to grab some ferments. I'm going to top dress. And then a couple of weeks in, I'll probably do a weekly feed. That's way better, I think, than just saying, fuck, it's water only no matter what. Even though my discipline sure. sucked, I missed the flower time. We can't just throw away a grow because it wasn't perfect. We've got to ride every single harvest out, day in and day out. And I think that's that's where the garden teaches us that discipline. And so a lot of the tools that Build a Soil provides is to help just make that easy, not to be in total control, like in the hydroponic model. Um, but even like you said, somebody using GH, like following a Lucas formula or something like that. A lot of times the allure is they do the basic and then they want to add all these other crazy products, either because right. they get it for free, a buddy tells them, and they end up in a tailspin because they now are outside of a known system. Um, and it can do it. You can fail a hundred times with hydro and then realize how all the products might work together and invent sure. your own feeding system with 12 different companies' products. 
But I feel like in living soil, it's easier to create your own system um, because we're not feeding. We're letting the plant do its own thing and permits just kind of go on top to ease the pressure off the soil. What's so, it uh, reamending and reusing some soil? Because I want to make what, sure we get to that. Uh, yeah, you do, guys, do you mind you know, if I ask real quick? He, he did mention the system. And you yeah. guys do have a system. You hooked me up with it last year. We did great. It was the Oli Mountain Fish Compost uh, with a couple top dresses of some build to bloom. Very cool. simple system. Y'all, you, I seen uh, on the website. First of all, you guys are making a shitload of content over. Dude, on you know about the six rules. You got to read those first. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I just want to kind of give you, if you want to learn about this stuff, I, I want this to be. I don't say an introduction because we hang out with you frequently. Yeah, I, I want to to make sure that people understand that they can go over and and you've got tons of content over there. Yeah, let's address it. The system has been evolving and it always will evolve. Um, and anybody that gardens, I think that they're going to honor. They'll know that they'll respect that they're going to learn forever. There's never like a final day where you know it all. And so knowing that the system is just a series of fundamental basics that if you follow, you should get good results. And then you can expand upon that within your own style. And it's just good recommendations. And where we decided the system should start is the old way in the sense that when you wanted to learn how to grow, you typically followed whoever you got your herb from that was willing to share this with you. Whoever taught you how to grow. Sure. That's, that's all it was, right? You could Google it and stuff, but a lot of times it was different from what you were being told. So Scotty told me I had to grow in deep water culture. Right? Yeah. I did deep water culture yeah. too. I did recirculating <laughs> deep water culture, right? I had floods. I did the whole thing. It was really, really fun and I wouldn't change it for anything. But um, when the person that you knew taught you how to grow, they usually at least gave you the rundown. Like, hey, flower is going to be 12 hours and veg is going to be, you know, you can do 24, you do 18 or they would just right. give you the rundown and it helped you throughout the period. So the build a soil way was a, a way to try and document the process. And if you go to the and you go to like uh, education, I think you can pull that down. There's the rules basically says, Hey, top dressing, compost, compost teas, mention some of the philosophy. There's even a spreadsheet about some of the times to add products. And I try not to have like an exact schedule. Right. And the philosophy is, is, at home in your kitchen, if like the fridge and the pantry is full of good stuff, and you've thrown away all the bad stuff, you, you can kind of eat anything in there, right? You don't really have to pick and choose sure. so perfectly between all the food in there. Right. And so making a schedule for organics is kind of like that, where it, it shouldn't be one teaspoon of this every day. We're trying to be a steward, but when you're brand new, you just don't know. So it's helpful to have a roadmap. That's what that is. But I'd say the best content we've produced so far is just watch the 10 by 10 series on YouTube. I go into such great detail on every episode about some of these nuances that you may not have picked up before. Like how much to water in living soil? How do you even think about it? The top dressing and all the things that we've mentioned, we cover in that series in really great detail. And the good news is if you put questions in there, we're a lot of times answering those as well. So that might be a good place to start if you're brand, brand new to pick up the whole system. Otherwise, um, it'll be episodes like this where we're recovering snippets of the content and I think right. that they're a lot more digestible than 30 YouTube videos, right? Sure. So sure. anything else you can think of that would help people here, um, I'd love to address it in the beginning, but mainly what we wanted to touch base on was the permanence and also how to reuse soil and maybe re-amend soil. So let's jump into that. I want to make sure we cover it pretty well for you guys today. Nice. Yeah. Basically wanted to talk about, I mean, living organic soil is a philosophy. I grow with peat. Sometimes a cocoa peat mix. Build a soil. You don't use cocoa in any of your product. You're building. We don't use cocoa. We, we have cocoa core. And we do have a number of living soil growers that mix like 50-50. Some of them do straight cocoa. And they still get good results. Um, part of this is just honoring the way we've done it for a long time. All the soil testing that we've done and the machinery that we okay. use. Parts of it are arguments on sustainability and resources. And so um, I'm not going to draw a hard line in the sand. But there are differences between the two. And... Um, they both work. So. Can I ask you just, we had a uh, mic from a uh, Royal gold on and just, yeah. is, is it, and I, you're my technical guy or guru is my technical guy, but you're one yeah. of them. It different cellulose and lignin is, is that what the deal is with them? They're, and they're different bases, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so many differences. Um, what I'll start at is that, uh, cocoa core is a, it, it can be farmed, right? It's not just a thousand years old. It is what it is. Um, they can be farming synthetically and growing coconuts with chemical nutrients and then creating a waste product and selling it to us as organic. Or it can be organically farmed and sold as organic. Or it can be salty. Or it can be flushed with 
two years worth of water that we're not accounting for just to make it clean. So there's so many variables, right? I know Royal Gold is a great company. I think they even use Bolden and Lawson, which is who we use for our soil machines, which is no joke. Like that means you care about the quality. So Cocoa Core has been about um, variance in sourcing and quality and good manufacturers really make sure there's not excess sodium. They make sure that the texture and porosity, which is where he got into cellulose, lignin, making sure that this, this, this is all going to uh, work. And you'll notice that's why there's huge differences. Even when I first started growing in cocoa, I was like, oh, you, yeah. you need to get a bottle line that's specifically designed for cocoa core. And other guys was like, no, you don't. You just need to know how cocoa core works. And all I know is I saw huge plants out of this much cocoa core and I was blown away. So, yeah, you know, it's like, whoa, this thing is pretty cool, right? Um, but I think in living soil, the reason why people like cocoa is it drains a little better and they feel like it's more forgiving texture. Yeah. And the other reason is, is they feel like peat moss is bad for the environment, the mining of it. But, but just offhand, one can be farmed and then boated in from across the country and can be very problematic if we have import issues like during Corona. Um, or it can be salty. So it, it's a little bit like fickle. Where with peat moss, they've only mined a couple of percent of the reserves. We've barely even scraped the surface. Now overseas, horrible. They burn it for energy. That's why when you talk scotch, you hear this peatiness or smokiness. That's from burning peat for energy. That's where the conversation goes into being bad for the environment. Where in Canada, where they mine it here, closer to us, they've barely scraped the surface and it's very, very strictly managed. The difference is, though, it was alive. And so when we get peat moss by the truckload from Canada, it has all of the living components still in it. And because I'm trying to build a living soil from scratch, I'm trying to get untouched stuff like that. That's part of the paradigm is why we use peat moss. But you don't have to. So I hope that helps. All peat isn't created equal. I remember I used to live, not really live, I had to grow uh, next to a peat bog in Florida. And they they would just scrape a little, you know, you know, yep. actually they would cut the earth and just block yep. it up. But yep. I would talk to people. And by the way, you know, I have a bamboo nursery in Florida and I could get Florida peat mixed in very fairly inexpensively per yard. Yep. Canadian peat is a whole different story. That was quiet. And of course, it's got to be transported, but the quality was much better. So maybe just touch on that real quick. Yeah. So here's the difference. Um, a lot of the peat that you've heard. Now, this goes into worm castings, too. One of the UNCO, the two-week system for worm castings, was to buy a black peat moss that already looked like castings before you start. Wow. part of a trigger. Wow. But the reason why is that peat moss is typically a sedge reed, which is a saltwater, and it is a different formulation of dead plant material. That's not nearly as quality as this ancient mummified, like forest, so to speak, of the Canadian peat moss. So we're talking right. fresh water, salt water, different plant components. And so um, it does get a little bit confusing. There is, you know, there are some other peat mosses that are similar to Canadian that aren't in Canada, but are close to the border in the United States. And they're right. part of the Canadian Sphagnum Peat Moss Association. But in general, when you're buying it from Canada, the mines are like right next to each other and so tightly managed that almost every brand you get is going to be the same. They do have grades. So if you get a potting soil grade, they have where you can buy dirt, different gradients. And what they do is they take that from the bog, they take it to the factory. And before they take it there, they dehydrate it. So they transport less. And then they can actually chop it up, grade it, do all these different things. And there's different purposes for that. Like, for instance, what if you're hanging a, a, a hanging flower basket? Right. If you put our soil in there, it's going to break the thing out of the ceiling. Right. So I realize there's different requirements for different materials. But we get the uncut, untouched, raw, still alive and right from the bog. And that's what we use. And we feel it's better for the environment and it's better for growers. Now, of course, I would love if there was a closed loop, no mining of anything. Right. And so that world would be making your own compost. That's a little bit more, not the nutrient rich compost, but trying to get a higher, just a base soil building compost. Right. A lot of times people would use leaf mold for that. It's like a compost made strictly from leaf. That's not so potent and like nitrogen, more carbon, right? Um, and in that regard, you can still make a good potting soil. You don't need peat moss. You don't need cocoa core. It's just that on scale, we're trying to keep a certain balance that produces results. And when we reuse soil, that's part of where this conversation comes into play. So to reuse soil, the way that the people on the forums were doing it and the way uh, growers did it, the way build a soil followed and eventually did it was to get rid of certain things. And that would be um, like perlite. 
because perlite, it crushes in a powder, it floats to the top, and eventually, over constant reuse, the soil texture really changes. So we went to like a pumice and a rice hole, things that when you reuse your soil, either add to the integrity of the soil or stay there for a long time so the texture remains similar. Um, and then the other thing we used to do is we dump all our soil out, like five gallons, dump them all in a tarp, all of them after a cycle. And you just throw a whole bunch more compost and nutrients in there, eyeball maybe a little more pumice or perlite to get the texture right, just mix it all back up. And we right. throw it back in the container and go again. And because we were water only a lot of times, the soil would mellow out so much by the end, you could kind of just add back to it. But that's a lot of labor. And sometimes you end up making it too hot and you get less results. So that's where we shifted to no-till. And no-till, it, it keeps the integrity of the soil where the main bulk of it doesn't get over-nutrientified between harvests because you're only top dressing. So that means that you're not whipping it back in and mixing it where you do have to be fairly accurate. So our starting soil, um, we follow proven recipes so that there's balance. We use soil testing. But after that, when we're trying to keep soil forever and just reuse it again and again, we just reference how the plant health was last time and make sure we're constantly adding back. When we're top dressing as we go, and then after we harvest, adding similar amounts back, it's almost a constant process. It's never this. But you're well, saying no to. I'll put 100 pounds in, I'll wait six months harvest, and then I'll put another 100 pounds in. This is an even keel process. And what I'll say is we don't want to take all the firewood, light it on fire all at once. That'll keep us warm for 20 minutes, really hot, right? What we want to do is start the perfect size fire and just go add one log at a time. That's no-till. We just top dress a little, top dress a little, tea a little. Right. And that way we're never overdoing it and hoping that, you know, it fixes itself in the future. And that's why a 100-gallon pot or a 30-gallon pot constantly just doing a little bit of top dressing, it's like we never really need to stop. We can just harvest our plant, plug back in, and keep going. And what what thoughts add to this paradigm is that I think the fear is people don't want to top dress. Like they flip the flower, they top dress once, and they're thinking, I just won't do it again. And if their plants are huge, they're going to deplete the soil fairly far. And the thought is that if they were to add some, they're going to accidentally boost the growth and ruin their yield because they added vegetative food or something during the Right. But that's not, that's not the way nature works. It will still have senescence and fade, and it will stop eating from this mulch layer even though it's there. The reason why is it's just sitting up top. It's not in the entire media. And because we're not adding water-soluble food, it's not forced to take it up, which means it can use the bigger bulk of its roots to just digest clean product, not take nutrients up, and it'll still mobilize its leaf nutrients. It'll still fade. But, but the difference is when we harvest and we put another plant back in, it'll be green and healthy. It won't be starved because it was depleted. So no-till is the easy, least labor for sure. I least mean, labor for sure. But the fear is that if you get it wrong, you've got all this soil and you just don't know what to do, right? But if you want to reuse your own, let's say you're growing again, five gallon buckets, you grow with peat, maybe you even grow with the peat perlite mix, like pro mix or something. I get the problem with that is eventually you're going to get some weird texture as the perlite degrades down. But reusing peat, as far as if you have solely just peat media, um, and I know you need to know your inputs, you need to know what you put into that soil throughout the growth cycle to know how charged it is at the end or what you need to add. But how long will it hold its, quote, structure if I'm just, you know, like you said, putting it out on a tarp, breaking it down and continue to reusing it and not in a no-till situation? Yeah. So that's part of where no-till really did answer a lot of these longer term questions because we're putting cover crop that's breaking down, chopping and dropping, constantly adding more carbon and texture. And the worms are doing the eating of the roots. The roots are going through there. They're carving pathways in the soil to keep the aeration alive, even though you're right. The texture may have gotten finer and pithier, and it might be more suffocating. But when you, when I'm done and I water a, 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 a like something that had cover crop in it, you could, you could, when it's dry, it sounds hollow, even though it's a finer tilt. But when it's wet, it's got this sponginess to it from all the roots. And so when you look at a side of a hill on the side of a road, if it's bare, that all can come tumbling down and all the texture is fucked. But when it's grown with full of plants, it just stays there forever and it never falls, it never breaks and crumbles. And so I think that by adding diversity and cover crop and top dressing, we're actually preserving the integrity of our soil. When we just have peat and perlite and we dump it out and put it back in, what we need to do is make sure at least at a minimum that it's not overly salty, that it's flushed, that it's not excessive. So that when we go add nutrients, there's a known way they're going to be taken up. What can happen when you're kind of in this hydro paradigm is that 
You have excesses you didn't know about. You go to feed and it just lights everything on fire because you can't get to a baseline of health. That's where flushing helps. And in living soil, the only way to flush really is to use gypsum and to leach. So you're actually pouring the gypsum water on the soil and the sulfur takes the excesses of potassium, sodium, whatever there is, and it breaks it out of the soil cation where it was magneted on there and allows it to just flow out the water. Then you can shop back it out or whatever you need to do. Um, so in living so people, soil, gypsum. people are... Yeah, like people really feel yeah, people feel like they've overdone it, like they've fed too much, top dressed too much, and the the soil is just loaded, or they have a soil test that shows it's loaded. We add about a tablespoon of gypsum and four gallons of water, and we just flush the plant with it. And that should actually shuffle the deck and reset calcium at the top, get the excess potassium out, remove the excess sodium, and the sulfur in the gypsum does that. And whatever it takes out, it replaces back one of the magnet with the calcium. By magnet, I mean this cation exchange, the sure. holding power the soil has. And so that ability to hold the nutrients there now means that you can feed accordingly. The balance is back again. But when we just throw it on a tarp, throw nutrients in, put it back in there, if we're excessive in sodium and potassium and we're a little bit low on calcium, all of a sudden we're getting purple stems, we're up against it. We get kind of weak looking plants that invite yeah. disease. We don't have this like foot a day of green, healthy growth that's flexible and plastic right that's what we're looking for that's when you know you're really hitting the mark so i was uh, thinking during this reusing conversation actually shout out to the hydro growers because i will say water is the easily the most like reusable um and i don't live in vancouver british columbia so there's so much damn water around here i don't feel like it's taking away from like the natural resources or whatever i know some places it's not feasible but sure certainly is easy to reuse yeah i get what you're saying i mean in one regard I think of water as we're drinking the same water as our ancestors drank. I mean, it's all in a closed system. The challenge is that if we contaminate it where it's out of the loop of reusable water, we've kind of caused irreversible damage. I'm, I try to be an optimist. There's a book out there. I forget what it's called, but yeah, I think it's called abundance. But the idea was that for instance, when aluminum was found, I think the first time it was discovered, the king at the time had like valuable aluminum treasures. It was like off with his head. So they killed the guy. I believe it took another 500 years for someone to figure out how to make aluminum again, easily, just out of the dirt. It's in everywhere. All the iron, alumina, silica, dirt that's out there has aluminum in it. It's everywhere, ubiquitous. Well, it changed the earth overnight. I mean, now you can make metal items very easily, cost-effectively, and we recycle it. It was a game changer. Imagine if we could desalinate the ocean with almost zero cost tomorrow. It would fucking change everything. So... We're always moments away from some unbelievable amount of abundance. And I choose to believe that at the same time, we can't squander what limited resources we have thinking yeah. that it's always going to be better. So I'm right there with you. Water's amazing. It's reusable. Um, there's lots of ways that you can do that intelligently, but man, water can cause problems. Water can kill you. Water can drown you. Water can plug you. I mean, it's just a hidden thing no matter how you look at it. I was, I was just, just thinking that about be careful what you wish for because talking <laughs> about organics and synthetics, Justin von Liebig, a couple hundred years ago, solved the new, solved the uh, nitrogen problem. Hey man, yep. how do we make fertilizer? We're going to run out of backwana. We're going to run out of, 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 of uh, nutrition, plant nutrition. We're not going to be able to make our crops. Oh man, this guy invented the chemical solution. It's going to do everything. It didn't do everything. It gave you the, you know, the, it's like taking vitamins for food. You know, it didn't do everything. You really need, Von Liebig at the end said, uh, man, I missed the whole organic component. I missed the whole soil organic matter. That's what completes yep. it. Yep. There's carbon. It's a part of all this. And um, I mean, cannabis is a carbon-based, it operates that way. It works really well with carbon-based inputs. And when we bypass that completely, we almost rob its ability. Imagine just living on intravenous food our whole life. That's what, that's what I it think reminds me of. Your teeth would rot, your gums would rot, your stomach wouldn't yeah. work properly, and you'd sure have the right nutrients, but it's like missing the entire aspect of total health. It's that independence, the ability to digest your own food, eat sure. what you need. And of course, that's assuming that you're not just going to be eating Cheetos all day, right? I mean, humans are cursed with that problem. I don't think plants are, right? They, they're going to do what's best for them always. So I dig it, man. Yeah, <laughs> you dig. Yeah. Really um, Yep, the whole removing nitrogen from air, plants already do that. And I think the reason why it was so valuable is we're going through an industrial revolution. We're looking at actually being disciplined and systematized about our inputs to get a certain result. Sure. And so nitrogen was like, whoa, look at you put a line on the farmer's field and he can see the grass grow twice as big. Why wouldn't he buy it? But it's almost like taking steroids. It was it was 
it wasn't a balanced approach. And so people realize that nature works in balance. It doesn't always go that fast. We use amino acids for nitrogen, but it has to be on top of a balanced soil. You can't just straight go after it. Now, sure. we can use cover crop and it's free nitrogen taken from the air, put in our soil and the plants die that we're growing the nitrogen and they give it back. But that takes time and it takes process of planting. And I think the best farmers have that in spades, but brand new ones have no timing, no resources, don't know how to plan, and they need right. everything now. Right. And especially when you're doing a thousand acres, I mean, you're a year behind when you're planning for this season. You should have been planning this season last year. Right. And I feel like that's where the chemical paradigm came in. It allowed people to just get after it this week, not next year. And when we entertain the slowdown in society a little bit, and when the garden is supposed to be that for us, it teaches us the discipline. It shows us the processes that nature already had there. And as a grower, when you understand, you harness those and you're like, wow, this is powerful. Some of us get just tripped up by that. We just want to, we just want to Man, go down right. that hole. We want to do more, trust nature. Sure. And some guys are like, I, I don't care. That's cool. But man, I want to just juice it. I want to see how big and how fast I can grow this. And right. there's rewards for every style of growing. I think whether you're hydro or living soil, like we can all connect on the passion for the plant. It's just that living soil guys get a little bit weird about other things that just the plant crust. Sure. It's like a whole nother layer. So Dude, you make me right. feel guilty for using my bottles. Sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel guilty because there's, there's different personality types, man. I'm go, go, go. I was on an airplane at uh, 1230 last night, you know, so I like the idea. By the way, my fucking plants were perfect when I came back. So I, I love the predictability of the bottles. But when my growing really got better was when I started going to that synganic approach, when I stopped ignoring microbes, when I stopped ignoring soil organic matter. When I started adding a shitload of castings and biochar and things like that to make my soil better, uh, I would love your opinion. What am I missing? If I was going to, for the Singanic guys out there, what are some organic components that, you know, give me a top three of things that you would say, hey, man, add these two to your organics. Is it the, I'm sorry, to your synthetics rather. Yeah. Is it ferments? Is it, tell, tell me what you would think. Help me step it up to the next level, brother. That's good. I, it's tough to say because I feel like a lot of this is that living soil guys oftentimes have drawn a line in the sand saying they just will not entertain anything else. And guys that are synganic are like, I'm open to anything. Tell me what's going to work. And so because there's a difference in paradigm, a lot of times that's where we get these differences in conversation. Right. On the one that's hand, tough. it's like, I'm not even willing to think about it. On the other hand, it's like, well, I'll think about what you got. So from the synthetic side, you can always add more organics. From an organic side, you don't want to add any synthetics. Right. Sure. So that's why you get this rift. However, I will say that the plant container size, when you have bottled nutrients, you can get NPK that's in balance without having to wait for the microbes to do it. Right. And without having to wait for this balance to happen. And all I said is the responsibility is now yours, which means that if you've got a good bottled product and it's in balance, now that you're adding in the castings and the char and some of the other stuff, you're creating this buffer where the organics you're using are going to buffer the ability for you to have to be perfect with your synthetics. See, exactly, it creates this exact word ability I use. to hit the nail on the head with yeah. a wider margin of error. Almost yeah. like when you're going golfing and you get the driver that's like that big, that's a synganic where the synthetic is like here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just the sweet nice. spot's way bigger. Yep. Um, and I will say that when you're growing that way, the key things to be aware of is maybe a gypsum flush might be something to consider the synganic side rather than just a liquid flush because if you've added some organics, maybe stuff are locked in there that you can normally flush out so easily and right. reset. So right. that might be a consideration. Other than that, um, microbes have been super important to sure. even hydroponic grows, documenting their terpenes increase so that they can show their shareholders what they're going to do, right? We've seen it time and time again. It definitely does help. But in the organic side, when people are seeing a benefit from bottles, a lot of times it's because there's not a lot of good orga organic available phosphorus sources. Potassium is fairly easy in organics. It's loaded in compost. There's potassium sulfate, which is a hydro component that's also acceptable in organics. So right. it's kind of no problem. But in organics, it was either guano or you had to go to like phosphoric acid and other stuff that's just chemical. So a lot of guys would just not use it and trust the microbes. Their yield wouldn't be quite so high. And so the idea is if you're looking at organics, you're looking to boost it. The things the bottle growers are getting is a lot of times that available phosphorus and the micronutrients. A lot of organic growers will overlook micronutrients just because it says sulfate on there. Sure. Um, where when a bottle nutrient line, you're probably getting all of the micronutrients yeah. in balance with good phosphorus. 
Yeah, so, it's pretty easy there. Does he want a micro-nutrient package for uh, however much? Yeah, give me the good one. It's yeah, that easy. exactly. And they've just been geeking out on exactly how much of, of what amount for a long time, right? Right, right. Because um, it's tiny. I mean, you're literally talking, what, parts per billion with some of those, but you know, just, yeah. uh, just a couple parts per million with a lot of those. Yep, yep. And so a lot of organic guys get their start because they say, well, I don't need to buy that. I can just make it from easily available products. And that kind of gives it the the view from the outside that's like hydro is like fuck it i'll just buy it where you guys are like trying to duct tape this shit together you know give me the goods but there's another paradigm that says that like mcdonald's is the hydro model it's the same every time it's duplicatable it's everywhere and it's consistent but that michelin star i can't give you the recipe i can't even tell you how to do it but in your region with your inputs specific to your terroir with your customers taste buds you might be the best in the fucking world and that's what you want but I guarantee you it's not off the shelf that you can buy anywhere. And that's what happens as a chef. You don't want to go mix four different cans together and call it a soup. You want to find the farm, tell them what to grow, chop it up, cook it, make your soup and say, that's my soup. But is it really light years difference from a soup that was made from stuff at the grocery store? I don't fucking know, but there's whole lifestyles just attributed to that because there's, there is reward there. So I'm thinking about the soy sauce guy. I saw some special on the soy sauce master. Dude, soy is a big deal. I mean, like <laughs> over here, it's like soy sauce, right? But when you look at how they make it, I, mean, I don't want to know. I, I was yeah. told it's pretty gross. Gurus yeah, it's pretty me. I don't want to <laughs> know. I still get the little packets at the Chinese food place. So next thing it should be telling me that, you know, fortune cookies are gross. All right. <laughs> oh, man, we could talk about this stuff all day. I think just to cover reamending, um, if you're going to be dumping it and mixing it, Grab a soil test or don't add, add like half as much as you want so you can top dress later. The whole problem with reamending and dumping in a tarp is if you overdo it, you're fucked. If you underdo it, you can always feed a little or you can top dress a little. Okay, so that's a really good thing to consider. Um, also, from living soil, there's two things. You have amendments, which are like soy meal, alfalfa meal, fish meal, anything that's like an NPK. Those are typically about a half cup per cubic foot of soil. More than that's probably overdoing it. And the rule of thumb is you never want to go more than about two cups of those materials per cubic foot. So if you have 50 ingredients, mix them all together and only take two cups out per cubic foot. Is a cubic foot about a three gallon? No, seven and a half gallons. Seven and a half gallons. Okay. So, and then the other thing is what if you only have two ingredients, just alfalfa and soy? Well, mix them up and put two cups. 50 ingredients, mix them up, put two cups. Now, the mineral side, we don't want to go more than about four cups. And so that would be basalt and moisture shell flour and gypsum. And the difference is some are calcium specific, some are broad spectrum. But most people do about four cups per cubic foot of a mixture of minerals and about one and a half to two cups of a mixture of amendments. And they follow that when they reamend, maybe doing half those amounts. So one cup of nutrients, two cups of minerals, and they just keep going on their reamend in perpetuity until they feel like it's just a little off and maybe they'll get a soil test at that point. Sure. And not top dressing, re-amending. So when you, when you say re-amending, sometimes they'll top dress a little as they go because maybe their plant got too big, but when they're done, they've agreed that their plant was so big. It's all a root ball down there because of a little soil container. So they just want to dump it, re-amend it. Where living soil is, let's say we have enough soil and the plant is only equal in size or half the size of your soil mass. That means that, about half that soil was almost unused. It's not a whole root ball bound. So you don't have to dump it out. The worms are going to do their job. The cover crop does its job. That's the real difference. And so you could do the no-till in a five-gallon. It's just that I would be putting a clone in, flipping the flower. I veg for a day or two. Where in a 100-gallon, you might veg for a few weeks. Those are the differences. And I think that if you're a home grower, veg doesn't make you any money. So if you're comfortable with higher plant counts, fuck veggies. Yeah. Just do a whole bunch of healthy plants. Right. Flip the flour and have your flavors. But well, you just said five gallon. Counting. I'm so sorry. You said five gallon. You would flip almost immediately. You would take it yeah. out of your solo cup and flip it in living soil. I have people that flip at hundred gallons within seven days, and they absolutely crush their yield because they're getting wow. stretchier strains. They're putting, <laughs> they're putting like ten plants in there, and they flip after seven oh, days. Okay. They, ride, all right. they ride all hundred gallons into the stretch all of the battery of nutrients goes in a stretch where sometimes you deplete the soil and you barely get that stretch you're looking for in the stack. So it is about almost like no-till should be flowering. Wow. You just drop it and flip it. 
And a lot of guys try and veg, veg these big plants and then drop them in. They have to dig 10 gallons of soil yeah. out. It's Draining just, their battery out with just all yeah. the veg. Yep. Don't do it. Just drop it and flip. Now, ideally, like on our 10 by 10, we veg for like 30 days because I, you know, I have different systems and we didn't have high plant count. Ideally, I would just take 100 gallons, throw 10, 15 plants and flip Got it. it. Got it. You, know, you don't have to wait for veg. You get a lot better yield. Um, plant, plant counts kind of ruined well, stuff, so. they all consider that one plant, it's one pot, right? Yeah, man, for sure, bro. <laughs> as long as that, <laughs> you as long as love my lawyer. You have to talk to is cool, but um, <laughs> out here, out here, it's not a big deal. So if you go over plant count, for the most part, they're just going to say, "Hey, don't do that. We're going to come back." So most Jesus. people, if they're really pushing it, it doesn't really matter. Um, and then it used to be like three plants in flower, three plants in veg. All of the cops out here, for the most part, as long as they're under twelve, they just don't give a shit. That they've just been wonderful. Told to down 12 and under, don't even ask. 12 and above, tell them that they got to cut the ones over 12. So. We're doing it, boys. We're doing it. Right. We'll but where you live, it may be different, good. right? And so I don't want to take on that risk for you. But if you look up high quality and yield, it's the sea of green. It's, it's higher plant count. Um, I feel like if you grow a plant for nine months, the plant quality is a little bit less or you better be really fucking good at it. Um, where if you can just get all its energy right into flower, everything's easy. So... Brilliant, Good man. Philosophy. Brilliant. Hanging, man. Having these conversations keeps me motivated. I mean, I've been growing for like, I don't know, 18 years or something. And there's still so many different styles and ways. And yep. I mean, for a lifetime, like you said, that I could keep trying and keep you know interest in this, this hobby and passion. So that's why it's important. You know, a lifetime pursuit that you can never perfect is a very good thing psychologically. They say it's one of the keys to happiness. That's what I tell myself so. about mountain biking when I screw up. I don't yep. worry about it, man. I'm just learning, right? You either learn or you grow. It's not like you're wrong. So, <laughs> Guys, you should go over to buildasoil.com. Shop around over there if you want to get a coupon code for Build a Soil. We got with all our other pros, dogrows.com forward slash pros, where we can see all the coupon codes. And Jeremy, what else? Shout out to anything else. Definitely your YouTube channel. That is badass. Great information. Like you said, probably some of the best content I've seen as far as um, just direct, very directional and to the point. And I dig it. Yeah, and if you like the philosophy of the garden, we discussed some of my thoughts about how the garden relates during those um, the YouTube series. So check it out. Other products, really, it's not about the product. It's about the quality inputs. So when I'm looking at brands, I don't even care what the brand is. I just look at the quality of inputs that they're using. And I encourage you to do the same for your health and for your garden. So when you go to the grocery store, read the ingredients, right? You don't have to, like, let's say you're trying to go vegan and you eat this plant replacement product and find out it's full of GMO soy and chemicals. Is it really better? But maybe there's a choice next to it that was made from mushrooms and quinoa or something different that actually isn't bad for the earth and might be good for you. So it's not, it's not that one way is better than the other. It's just that I think the ingredients should be of importance to you so you can make your decisions. And um, if you go through the buildasoil.com and the buildasoil way, you'll see that all of the products that we work with have really good ingredients and we can trace them back to the source. And I think that's the real point of it. So if you've got questions, we've got a staff here that answers Instagram posts, support at buildasoil.com. We have a live chat. We answer our phone. We just want to help empower organic growers to get that fire, to get those results. They can share them with their friends and have that experience that I think we're all after. So. I love Sick. it, man. I dig. Thanks for taking the time. I want to get you back on again. We'll have to go over. I want to go over those uh, the six, what I call them, the six rules, I yep. believe. Yep. Um, uh, each of them make a really good talking point and always great to have you on the show, man. I know you're probably busy summer, summertime and everything's growing. So you guys take her easy. You got anything else, Scotty? I do not. Getting... Always good to see you, man. Let's try to try to do these a little more often. Always schooling us. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to do it anytime you guys uh, want. I'm basically locked and loaded. This is all I live every day. I mean, I just always plant seeds, always got a grill going and always willing to talk about it. So holler anytime. I appreciate you guys spread the love and I'll catch you on the next one. Hey, stay right, loyal to the guys. soil, brother. Yeah, bro. I had to go there. Some people love to blaze up the tank. Yeah, we get happy for noon. And we're the boss man's is to take a little break. That means we're lighting up a dude. It's just weed. It's just weed. I like to keep the good buzz on, on, on. It's just weed. It's just weed. In my toolbox, there's a bone. Some people start their day off with a pill. It's what the doctor 
says to do They shake their heads And natural medicine Go ahead and try something new, new, new. It's just weed It's just weed I like to keep the good vibes on, on, on It's just weed It's just weed I like to smoke it out of Why he hates the dank Just look at how he's being paid 